You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Y'all know me. Sometimes I have a flair for the dramatic. So it gives me great thrill to be able to say the single greatest playoff in NFL history continued over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, it did. All Sunday long as we had not one but two epic football games to break down. And we now know the Super Bowl matchup is going to be, raise your hand if you had this in the preseason, Bengals versus Rams. Now keep your hand up because we know you're a liar. Spain and Fitz on ESPN <laughs> Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And I went into the day thinking that the football god, Sarah, was going to give us one of two things. It was either going to give us the Rams and the Chiefs, which is a win for me because that was my preseason prediction, or... He was going to give us the Bengals making the Super Bowl for the third time and having to take on the 49ers a third time. We did not get that, though, as the day started with a dramatic come down to the finish, of course, overtime, of course, epic battle between two quarterbacks that look like they are just going to be the light of our lives for the next decade. Burrow Mahomes, the Bengals send the Chiefs home. Yeah, and it was incredible to watch because for all we've said about the Chiefs this year and for the struggles early on, all we could think through the beginning of this first couple postseason games for the Chiefs was, okay, they've hit their peak now. They've got it figured out. Even in that crazy game with the Bills where the the defense let down a couple times to Josh Allen and, and the Bills' offense, they still found a way to get the W. And so to imagine a game where the the Chiefs would end up looking the same way they did in that first meeting with the Bengals this season again was sort of unfathomable. We were asked on Friday on Around the Horn, what would the Bengals need to do to get a win? And I said it sounds oversimplified, but they just have to do what they did last time. They limited the the, the Chiefs' possession in the second half. They held Mahomes to just 50 yards. They, they, they confused him enough to take him out of his bag. And that's exactly what they did. It was, it was a mirror image. They got down early. The Chiefs looked unstoppable. Thankfully, they got a huge stop on that Tyree Kill play going into the half where the, 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 the Chiefs got a little greedy. And you can't blame them the way that their drives had been going up till then, but they should have gotten three out of there, and they got nothing. So they go to the half, and what was most impressive to me, Fitz, was the way the Bengals decided, okay, too high safety is what everybody's been telling us and showing us to do all year that's going to work against the Chiefs. It's just not working well enough here. We're going to drop eight defenders into coverage on over a third of the pass plays. We're going to force Patrick Mahomes to react differently to what he's seeing than in the first half where he ran around in circles and could always find a guy open. But now we're not blitzing. We're pressuring with three. We're, we're dropping guys back into coverage. He can't find those guys anymore. He's getting sacked. He's losing yards. He looked confused. So as much as you want to say the Chiefs and Mahomes maybe choked a little, this was about the Bengals defense and the, the ability to change on the fly, react to what was what they were seeing and take Mahomes out of the game. Yeah, to me in my mind this wasn't about the Chiefs choking at all. This was the the Chiefs being outcoached and Patrick Mahomes not playing well enough in the second half. And it's stunning to say that sometimes because some organizations, some coaches, and some quarterbacks are so seeped in benefit of the doubt that we turn around and say, well, that can't be. But to your point, Sarah, we spent how much of this year talking about Mahomes finally figuring out patience in the second half of the season and just taking what was there. And there were multiple examples in the second half of Mahomes having something in front of him that was right there to be had. But because he was running around and trying to find the big play and not being as patient with taking what the defense 
defense was giving him and trying to push the ball downfield. Mistakes were created left and right. It was a forgettable half of football for Patrick Mahomes, and the Chiefs this year weren't going to be good enough to survive that. That has been their Achilles heel this year is that there are moments where it feels like they are just trying to tinker too much, to toy too much, to do too much instead of simply taking what's there in front of them. I was surprised to see the Bengals change. I was surprised to see Mahomes play so poorly, but I'm not surprised that that ends up with the Bengals in the Super Bowl. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You say forgettable. I think that's being very kind. Very kind. That's fair. I mean, that is fair. He had a You're QBR right, because- of 149 in the first half of the game and 34 in the second half. He that had is- the largest gap in the playoffs of QBR tracking since it started being tracked in 2006. So according to the QBR of the 0 to 100 rating, he had a 98 in the first half and a 1.4 in the second. So whether you're looking at passer rating or you're looking at QBR or whatever stat, it's it's very generous to say forgettable. It was bad. Yeah, and, well, and, and his first two passes in overtime both looked like they were going to get picked yeah. sixth, and then the third pass gets picked, and it's like, what the hell is he th- Like, this is the same Mahomes that we saw last week do what he did, and this week had it looked like he had no clue what to do with the football. And the rarity of his failing in that manner, we just aren't. You're just shocked to see it, and, and and you think about the way the broadcasters are calling the game. They feel the same way. You know, Tony Romo's sitting here talking about should they delay scoring? It's inevitable they're going to. Should they get down at the one? Should they kill some time? And instead, they lose 17 yards on a sack as he's running around. Right? Like it feels like oh, the he's going to be in control. This game's going to go exactly the way he wants. And instead. What we saw was a guy who was completely taken out of his element. So it felt surprising that they didn't drive the length of the field and win in overtime, but it probably shouldn't have been based on the fact that at the end of that game, he was he was completely discombobulated. They scored three points in the second half. Yeah, well, for anybody that didn't see this coming, don't feel bad. When the season started, not many people thought the Bengals would be in the Super Bowl, including Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow. This is what he said at the press conference afterwards about what he thought of his team going into the season. You know, I think if you would have told me before the season that we'd be going to the Super Bowl, I probably would have called you crazy. But then, you know, we played a whole season and, you know, nothing surprises me now. I know the kind of guys that we have and the team that we have. So, you know, there's there's still one left. We're excited about this one, but... You know, we'll celebrate tonight and then move on. Well, they're going to move on to the Rams. That's who we know they're facing in the Super Bowl. And, you know, I I tweeted it, Sarah, but it's almost laughable. The fact that that game didn't come down to the absolute last play made it the worst football game we've seen in two weeks. Right, exactly. The so disappointing. How how could it possibly? <laughs> um, no, it, it's it's been an incredible run, and the idea that what we ended up with is a rabid Bengals fan base who never could have seen this coming. To your point, the Super Bowl odds were astronomical, sixty to one to win the AFC. They had the worst record in all of football just two seasons ago. So we've got the rabid fan base, and then we've got the home squad and the Rams that we spent all season wagging our finger at. Oh, if you don't win at all after going all in, what a failure that would be, right? It's just, it's it's incredible when you think of the discarded bodies along the way of Brady and Rodgers and Mahomes and these teams, even Shanahan. You know, coaches aren't monoliths. They can be great and they can fail. And Shanahan had a lot of questionable moments. And so did McVay, for that matter. McVay is very lucky that they won this game because those challenges, those loss of timeouts, like he did not handle this game very well. 
I agree with you. I thought the NFC Championship game was actually, for for all jokes aside, was actually clunky in a lot of ways. Clunky. And while we mm-hmm. watched the AFC Championship game and we watched two teams that, you know, yes, it was a, a terrible second half for the Chiefs, but you could at least see kind of the, the moments throughout the course of the game. It really felt like the, the 49ers and Rams took forever to even get comfortable in that football game. Coaching, players, all of them, all the way down to Jimmy G's last heave attempt at trying to get something done. It just felt like it was a haphazard attempt by both teams to get any sense of rhythm. We'll keep breaking down the NFC Championship game. By the way, Spain and Fitz is brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. We'll get into the NFC Championship game. Plus, my beloved Raiders have a new head coach. He spoke, and something about it was really significant to me. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, represented by Progressive Insurance. We'll get back into the wild, chaotic weekend of football that was, but Sarah, I'm, I'm, I'm on a little bit of a high today, feeling, feeling a little happy. Feel, feel a little happy. I'm going to get you some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. That comes in the form of me tuning into the press conference my beloved Raiders had to I thought, uh, just announced their GM hire of Dave Ziegler because nothing had been made official. And what do you know, in in full dramatic fashion, there was a third seat next to Mark Davis. And after talking uh, to and with and about Ziegler for a couple of minutes, bam, he drops the nugget. Josh McDaniels is in the room, walks in as the new head coach of my beloved. So Vegas. Now, I I know, that is very, like, I kind of wanted some WWE theme music, maybe smoke machines. A fog machine, maybe maybe McDaniels in in an Elvis getup. I, I mean, I'm not saying no to that. I will say this. I don't take a lot out of introductory press conferences. I, you know, we on this show have had a pretty good time laughing at some of the mm-hmm. uh, just mannerisms that we see. But there was one moment today that I thought was particularly significant from Josh McDaniels. And, and it, it started out of the gate. He was very honest about who he's been and some of his past failings, including when he talked about this when asked about his failings in Denver. When I went to Denver, I knew a little bit of football. I didn't really know people uh, and how important that aspect of this process and maintaining the culture and building the team uh, was. And I, and I failed, and I didn't, you know, I didn't succeed at it. And so looking at that experience has been one of the best things in my life in terms of my overall growth as a, as a person, as a coach. What do I need to do different? How do I need to handle my role if I have another opportunity and do better at it? And I feel like that's really an area that I've tried to grow in with our staff in New England. You know, our offensive staff working together, collaborating, supporting one another, impacting them, serving them, helping them grow as coaches, as players, with our guys, uh, you know, that we're coaching. So I would say that's the biggest area for me. uh, And I know how important it is as a head coach to be able to do that. I think it was interesting, Sarah, from the outset of his press conference, he basically acknowledged, I've failed in the past, I've learned from those failures, and I'm going to do a better job. In that moment, I don't know that that's the easiest thing for everybody to say, so I found that to be impressive. I like the accountability, but you got to follow that up with the action, right? Um, there are plenty of reasons to question what went down with the Broncos that include some just uninspired play. You know, just some some losses that didn't even feel like the team was really out there putting their all. But it was also, you know, the 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 fine for being in cahoots with the same guy that was involved in 
in Spygate with, with the Patriots and bringing that to the Broncos and then happening again back with the Patriots. Um, you know, there's a lot that floats around McDaniels besides the fines for taping other teams, the backing out of the Colts. But you got to figure out what kind of guy you're getting, and it's easy to come out and say, here are the reasons I failed. I'm not going to do that again. It's more difficult to actually do that, and I would allow for growth. I would allow for maturity and evolution. It will be interesting to see what guy the Raiders get and if it is truly a different guy. Because the, I, I think it, it's fair to assume that spending more time after you've had that failure, you can learn about culture. You can learn about all the other stuff that he said he didn't have when he came with just the football. That, that, that I'll buy. The question is, you know, who is he really? Yeah, and I think you're a thousand percent right about that. I I look at who he was in that first iteration with Denver, and you know I I had really genuinely forgotten that he was 32 at that point. You know he's 45 now, and getting his second shot. To me, I look at some of that and say, well, it, you know, if a 45 year old, 44 year old me right now could go back to 32 year old me, I'd slap me in the face on a few different things. So you know, <laughs> I I think that there's a an opportunity. But what hit me is that many coaches have ego and. I don't even mean that in a bad way. I just mean you have to have a certain level of, you know, confidence and swagger to do this at the top level. So to take that moment and acknowledge your past failings from the outset, I, I think at least it disarms some of the questions that a lot of people are going to have. Those questions aren't going to go anywhere. Uh, but you're right. It'll all be proven on the field. Now, that being said, your team also had an opportunity. Well, uh, go, go, yes. Yeah, I actually – because I have something I want to ask about Josh McDaniels still. But this actually relates because – when you do an introductory press conference in Chicago, there's one thing that always has to be mentioned, and it's that you're going to beat Green Bay. I think it's silly. <laughs> I think it reveals that the Packers are in your head. It's the same as there's a overpass, underpass situation if you're walking from some of the tailgate lots to Soldier Field. And when people are walking under this extended bridge type thing, there's always chance. And it's usually something like Green Bay sucks or Detroit mm -hmm. sucks, mm -hmm. or F the Packers. And if we're not playing that team that day, I just want to yell, they're in your heads. They're not even here. Like, stop talking <laughs> about them. And that's how I feel sometimes about the coaches who feel it's necessary to get up there and be like, we're the most important thing, more, more important than anything, we're going to beat the Packers. And it's like, well, could the Super Bowl be more important, please? But like clockwork, today, Ryan Poles, and Ibraflus were both introduced, and this is what Ryan Poles said. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Okay, new spin on an old <laughs> classic. I can appreciate that. You didn't say flat out we need to beat the Packers. It's the most important thing. You said we're going to take the North and never give it back, which I also appreciate because that is a level of commitment that we are never, ever going to lose the division for the rest of time. But what it had me thinking about fits because the same day that I uh, my team was introducing the new folks, so was yours, is do you have a moment like that? And you answered that pre-show because Josh McDaniels was forced to talk about the tuck rule. Oh, yeah. I, I said the only way this was going to be a successful press conference is if he admitted that it was a fumble. And it took it took Mark Davis, like, less than a minute after introducing him to get to the, <laughs> hey, like, just so you know, uh, Mark tells this little anecdote of the anecdote of them running into each other in the halls. And the first thing Josh says to him is, just so you know, it was a fumble. And Josh was like, yep, wow. that's what I said to him. So, look, he, he's gone full Full dark side. I, our version of We're what you're talking so about, though, basic. is... We're uh, all I mean, so basic. We're all so basic. In fact, I actually now am very curious. I'm going to put it up on the poll. At Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. What is your NFL team's version of needing to talk about the tuck rule or needing to say we're beating the Packers? Because I want to know what it is for each team. 
Oh, yeah, that's a good question. And the, the other thing that you know you're going to get in every press conference for the Raiders, they're going to make a reference to Al Davis. That always happens. Of and course, then both the GM win, and the coach are going to, at some point, say commitment to excellence and just win, baby. Like, those are going to be – like, <laughs> what course. What the hell does that mean? Like, when it's like, you know what, we're going to be committed to excellence. What, was the last regime not to – like, were they committed to mediocrity? Like, what? what everybody's committed to excellence. And then they, whenever they well, ask – Well, to love, be fair – Go ahead. You know, I love the fact that the concept is always we're going to scout great football players. We're going to bring in guys that play hard. Did the last regime not look like they were like, yeah. no, he's kind of soft, but he's going to work game out. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. So I, you recall me mentioning this before, but, you know, as you said, what are people going to show up and say? They're going to say they're going to win. They're going to. But Mark Tressman went oppo. Uh, you remember the CFL oh, coach yeah. that the Bears hired a few iterations ago who accidentally loudly and without correcting himself in his introductory presser as the new head coach said, we're going to be selfish and undisciplined and just kept it moving. <laughs> And he clearly meant to say selfless and disciplined. And for whatever reason, he proudly and loudly said, we're going to be selfish and undisciplined and then kept it moving. So I just always feel like if you don't say that in the introductory presser, it's already a success. No, that is that is a fair point. Although I would love a press conference where a coach comes in and is like, Look, I've looked at this roster. It's not particularly good. And like Kansas City and the Chargers are, are, are likely a better football team for the next five yeah. years. So we're just going to build something here and hope that we hit a home And I'm going to be saying my farewells. A GM that comes in and says, look, I'm going to try and draft a quarterback, but if it was that easy, you know, it, there'd be 32 of them in the league. So we'll just see where this thing goes. Like, that's a level of honesty. That's a level of straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise that any of us could want. I've said this before. I said it on Saturday. I'll say it again. When it comes to any single coaching hire, none of us have any idea. Like, genuinely, right. you, you, you and I don't know. Fans don't know. All you can hope is that the guy that's sitting at the, the table, whoever's making that decision, your owner, your GM, the, the committee that makes this decision, all we can ever hope, Sarah, is that that person knows what they're doing because that's the only indication we have. Right, right. The presser is not going to tell you anything, although it's unfortunate when it goes terribly wrong, a la Adam Gase. It's funny when it's someone like Dan Campbell. It's telling, in my opinion, when it's somebody like Joe Judge. And most of the time beyond that, it's a wash. You wait and see what happens. Yeah, well, and that's what we'll all do. And uh, for today, I'll have some positivity because we all know he's right. It was a fumble. All right, coming up, the Rams wow. are going to the Super Bowl. Thanks in part to their defense. We'll talk to one of their players next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Joining us now to talk about yesterday's big win and the chance to show out on his home turf, it's L.A. Rams linebacker Troy Reader. Troy, thanks for the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so we saw McVay last night trying to get through questions as quickly as possible because he heard the music pumping from the locker room he said get over this i want to get in there and party with my guys so tell me what it was like in the locker room after the game yeah it, it was awesome you know just culmination of a lot of hard work and you know we've been going since you know otas in may and all camp august like it's just been such a long journey and you know kind of reach uh the the climax now and and get the opportunity to compete for the ultimate goal and go try and win a Super Bowl. You know, it was awesome energy. It's really cool celebrating with family and, and our teammates all night. So it was great. Troy, seeing the joy, obviously, was incredible. We've been talking all year 
about the pressure. Uh, you've been with this team for three years now. Uh, have you felt a different level of pressure this year than in years past for the Rams? Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think so. You know, every year I feel like we've been, we've gone into the season and felt like we have as good a shot as anybody to be the number one contender, make it to the big, the big stage and, and compete for a world title. Um, you know, this year I feel like we just really put it together and, you know, had outstanding leadership and, um, you know, some of our best players have been playing really, really good ball. And, uh, our defense, I think has been playing the best we've played all year in the last couple games. So, you know, just a lot of great things coming together that, um, you know, we maybe we weren't able to push ourselves over the edge uh, the last two years, and, you know, we're, we're back in this thing. Troy Reeder is with us here on Spain and Fitz, linebacker for the Rams, signed as an undrafted free agent with the team in 2019. You know, one of the interesting things, Troy, about this team is is how much attention has been paid on them since the start because of that acquisition of Stafford and how many assets were given away because of the continued additions during the season. And I want a real inside look at how hard it is to add pieces midseason because we certainly saw Odell Beckham Jr. wasn't even in, you know, red zone plays. And then we see the effect he has once he's fully a part of the team late in the season, especially yesterday's game. On the defensive side, how difficult or easy is it to add pieces like Von Miller in the middle of the season? You know, I, I think in a lot of situations it could be pretty tough, but when you make the right decisions on the right guys and, and those are the pieces that you're adding and they're the right pieces, that's when it really is pretty easy. And Von came in right away. I know Odell was very similar on the offensive side and, they're guys that instantly want to be the guy. So you just see how hard they work to, you know, get to the point where they're caught up with the offense and the defensive schemes. And then after that, you already know what kind of players they are and what they bring to the table. Um, and then they get the mental component done. And then you've just seen their level of play the last couple of weeks just crank up. And I think a big part of that is, you know, just still getting more and more comfortable um, within the systems and they, they seem like, you know, they're just playing ball now. And, um, you know, they've, they've been great additions, um, defensively, you know, Vaughn has been an awesome leader for us too, especially over the last couple of weeks through the playoffs and, you know, two awesome guys to add to the team. We're talking to Rams linebacker, Troy Reader on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, uh, everybody last week was talking about six straight losses to the 49ers. What was the key for this game working out differently for you guys? Yeah, um, you know, we see every every game is kind of its own separate entity, and um, I'd be lying if I said it, it didn't feel good to kind of get that one uh, off our back. But, you know, I think, I think the biggest difference, at least from the defensive side of the ball, was, you know, we held them to about 50 yards rushing, and, you know, that's kind of the style of play they like is they want to be able to run the ball at will and, and really kind of have throughout the playoffs. Um, but, you know, we came out and played some really good, tough run defense and um, got off the field on third down. So, you know, I, and then I think we put our offense in some good situations. They put us in good situations, and our special teams played outstanding too. 
It's Spain and Fitz talking to Troy Reader of the Rams, who just helped his team punch their ticket to go nowhere, stay home. What does it mean to not have to get on a plane and have a travel plan to be able to know friends and family are coming to where you are already? Is there extra added pressure? Does it mean more folks calling and trying to get the hookups? Or what? what is it like to think about hosting a Super Bowl that you're in? Yeah, it's it's tough. I think, um, you know, this is the only one I've ever played in, so I'm not not sure, but it's it's been crazy. You know, a lot of a lot of family, friends, love and support. I know that's kind of how it is for for everybody, but you know, people want to either be there um, in person or you know, we'll be there in spirit. But it's really cool to be able to be doing it in LA and in Mr. Cronky's new um, awesome home for us, and you know, to be the first ones to be able to compete in a Super Bowl in that stadium just. It just seems right, you know. I was thinking a couple of weeks ago. I was like, it just wouldn't. It would just feel so weird to me to see another team compete for a world title and <laughs> what's become our home. And mm-hmm. um, you know, even though we got to play in it last season, I feel like this year with all the fans being able to be there, it's it's really become our home this year. And uh, you know, we're just excited competing for a world championship right here in LA. It doesn't get much better than that. When does it soak in that you're going to the Super Bowl? Man, I don't know. Um, you know, I just try and keep it. Uh, and and maybe this is a another advantage of, you know, playing at home is, you know, just trying to make it feel like it's another week. And, you know, our level of preparation is always at a really high level. But, you know, there are just some moments last night with family and friends where, you know, you're – hanging out and then all of a sudden there's like a pause and somebody's like, you know, <laughs> you guys are going to the Super Bowl, you know, and so I just look at so many guys that, you know, have had unbelievable careers, hall of famers that, you know, never got a shot at even being in the Super Bowl, let alone winning one. And, um, you know, you just can't take these moments for granted and playing in this game is going to be really special. I know a lot of our guys have played in them before, but, there's a lot of guys that haven't. So just trying to take it all in and uh, enjoying every step of it. And you have a bit of time to ask all those folks who have already been there what to expect when it comes to the long breaks, the super long halftime. Unfortunately for you, you're going to have to watch that sick halftime lineup on DVR. I think it's a fair trade for you. Yeah. That you're gonna, <laughs> but I'm bummed for you that you don't get to watch it. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there's going to be that level of those guys who were there a couple of years ago telling you how to handle it. And then there's the folks, I think, like you, that are that they're going to feel extremely lucky that they're getting this opportunity. I would say OBJ is one of them. You know, we talked about Von Miller and what a great addition he was. But there was so much talk about what kind of teammate Odell would be. And he has added a ton on the field. But what's it been like to have someone who's probably extra hungry to get in there and prove himself at the highest level? He's he's great, um, unbelievable teammate, super unselfish. Um, you know, there's there's nobody that I see get more excited for other people's success on offense than than him. And and we have a lot of guys like that. So you know, it's been really cool that you know this, and it, and it seems like it's cranked up even more um, in this little playoff run that that we're having, where it's not about who's who's making the big plays and who's having the most yards and touchdowns, whatever it is, it's just the team. And, you know, we, 
I think the feeling is mutual with everybody in that, you know, we love this team, like competing together and uh, going to work together every day and, and understand that, you know, just the nature of it, you know, this is the last time this team will ever be entirely together and we're trying to make the most of it. Um, have a lot of really special guys in our locker room um, from staff to players and, and everything in between. But, um, you know, just, just pretty incredible. Um, and those guys are a huge addition. Yeah. Well, we're excited for you, excited as we lead up to this game, and we appreciate you giving us some time today. Thanks, Troy. Thanks so much, Troy. Yeah, you got it. Yep. L.A. Rams linebacker headed to the Super Bowl. God, Short so reader cool. with us here on Spain and Fitz. I guess he ain't headed anywhere. Staying home for the Super Bowl is what's happening. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, protecting small businesses with specialized coverages for commercial vehicles. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up, Tom Brady has addressed his future on his own podcast. We'll tell you what he had to say. You'll hear it from him next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So uh, about a week or so ago, Fitz and I had a segment on the show that we called something like the hottest Brady takes you'll ever hear. And we had a little giggle at the expense of Rob Ninkovich. Here's what it sounded like. Won a Super Bowl in your very first year with your new team. You brought your buddy out of, um, you brought your buddy out of retirement and all that. Then why would you be done a year later. And that's what Rob Ninkovich seems to be saying on Get Up. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Tom decided to just kind of walk away and do, you know, whatever he wants to do. Because, listen, right now he's in bonus time. Uh, how many 44-year-old quarterbacks have we seen throw for the amount of yards and touchdowns? And he'll be 45 in August. So at this point right now, you know, what else does he have to prove to anybody? What else does he have to check off the list? I mean, he's got TB12 that he has grown to being, you know, in L.A., in New York, in Boston. And he's got his own brand coming out in the Brady brand with his clothing line. And, and everything that he has done, he left the Patriots, went to another team, won a Super Bowl. Um, and everything as far as football goes, you know, when you feel content with your career and everything that you've done, you can kind of say, all right, I'm going to walk off on my own two feet. What, what what are we what are we doing? What are we doing here? Like what, Nink? What are you doing? Like where? What, uh, there's no shot, right? Like there's no way that the world ends this easy for me. Like there's no way that Brady just you know the the likelihood of that is fine. If if I believe that, I also believe that as he's walking off, Brady is like just to be clear about one other thing, just so you know, it was a fumble, and there's no such thing as a tuck. Like that's how wow. likely I think Back it is that, that Brady again. actually leaves. I mean, get a hold like, of your life, dude. Right. So uh, is it too late now to say sorry uh, that we basically said to the guy who won two Super Bowls with Tom, thought it was the hottest take in the world that he would hang him up now? And here we are at Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80 Fitz. We immediately texted each other and our producer Stash when Jason, uh, when sorry, um, D Jeff Darlington and Adam Schefter broke the news this weekend that Tom Brady would in fact be retiring, and we were like, "Oh, I guess we owe Nink an apology." Yeah, Nink, I I I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, you were right. I was wrong, and I'm an idiot. I, I think it's important to nail down all three of those. A, you were right <laughs> about Brady. B, I was wrong, and and the the most important part, C. 
I'm a moron. I like, mean, throw I, me in there too. I that, I didn't make the noise, but I was feeling it. I mean, there's got to be this point where maybe, like hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm looking back at me a week ago and thinking maybe a guy that plays with him might know something. <laughs> I don't know. Like maybe I should just shut the hell up. Like I, 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 it, I am shooketh, Nick. Although there is still time. By the way, I said yes. it was as likely as him admitting that. Like there's still time for Brady to come back and admit that it was a fumble. And then there's also still wrong. time for him to decide that he's just mad yeah, that the yeah, news broke yeah. and he didn't have control of it, and so he's going to come back and play just because of that. As someone on spite Twitter said, season, yeah. yes, season. this entire last season will be like the Curb Your Enthusiasm spite store. He will open up a coffee shop and simultaneously quarterback for another year just to get back at the folks who reported it. It's Bain and Fitz. I, I mean, we were wrong. We were wrong. Uh, Tom Brady technically has not himself acknowledged that this is the end, but we all know he has $15 million at stake if he waits to retire after February 4th, which is very soon. So he has his podcast uh, with Jim Gray, the Tom Brady podcast, clever name, and he says this, which doesn't tell us much. I don't know what different intentions are. And again, it's, um, you know, not for me to control those things. So, you know, there's some very important games going on, you know, in the weekend. And I know how hard those players work on Sunday to prepare for that. Um, you know, I was actually a little bit, uh, you know, disappointed that that would actually, you know, play some part of, of what's going on in NFL football, which to me has been such an amazing sport and it's a, it's a great sport. And, you know, the focus should be on, um, you know, those great games. So you're right. It was, for me, it was just, I was trying to enjoy a nice weekend. It didn't quite turn that way because my phone got really busy, but you know, that's just part of being in the situation I'm in. Do you have a timeline? I don't know. I know when the time's right. So like I've always said, it's, you know, I'm very blessed to play as long as I had, you know, as, as, as things have gone on in the later parts of my career, whether that was five years ago or, you know, even this year, you know, there's a lot of interest in when I'm going to stop playing. And I understand that. I don't, it's not that I don't recognize that. It's just when I, when I know, I'll know. And when I don't know, I don't know. And I'm not going to, you know, race to some conclusion about that. Uh, one of the people who definitely hit up his phone was Matt Castle, who tweeted that he he texted him and hadn't heard back. Uh, yeah, he was I, willing to is, let everyone know. And, um, and I think it's important here, like, Sarah, I, I'm all in for him taking his time and, and having his process. Like, great. You know, he's earned that, of course. Every athlete's earned that uh, right. I, I don't think that's a hot take. Uh, I also think that it's okay to acknowledge that in football years, he's 4,327 years yeah. old. So mm -hmm. there are going to be questions. And unfortunately, the way teams are structured, rosters are built, and the way that the salary cap works with the league year, it's not like you can just wake up. And like, uh, I understand the concept of I'm going to take my time and figure out how I feel about it. But I also understand the concept of teams got to figure out the salary cap. They've got to figure out the quarterback. Like, all of these questions are just part of the media cycle you sign up for when you're an epic quarterback in the NFL. I agree, Fitz, but it hasn't been long. The team just lost. And to his point, I believe him that he was frustrated that the weekend's focus on the AFC and NFC championships was sidetracked by the breaking of this news. I believe him. And I also think it'd probably be incredibly frustrating if you did not intend to make that announcement and people are still claiming that it's all about your big ego and that you want to get out and take everybody's moment from them. I don't think that that's the case. I think to the point I made earlier... He wants to make that money that he gets on February 4th. 
And I think he wants to have control over the announcement. And that's no shade on the reporters breaking the news. That's what you do when you have that news. But maybe Brady needs to have a talk with the people in his camp that he let know about his intentions to retire and then leaked it. Because yeah. that's what caused him to t t take focus from the games going on. And that's what caused him to spend his weekend having to, you know, tell TB12's Twitter account to, to, to get rid of the notices and tell his teammates to stop telling him congrats on a great career, right? It got sticky. And, and Fitz, I think what we've ended up talking about is the delivery of the news instead of the news itself, which I think feels inevitable at this point. It's just going to come on his own timeline. And that's the most interesting part to me is I'm truly shocked the reason that I scoffed at what Ninkovich said is because it felt so unlikely to me that you would have a career high in yards, 43 touchdowns, 12 picks, be absolutely the reason for your team's success and in no way deliberately affecting their, their play in a bad way, um, like the way some other quarterbacks are when they're near the end of their careers. He's getting better, and that was shocking to me despite having nothing left to prove that he would want to go out and always wonder if he had more left, regardless of whether he doesn't need to win one more game as a former athlete myself. That's what I felt was it would be wild to go out having a season like he just had and not think I could come back and do it again. Especially given how banged up the bucks were for so much of the yes. year. Like I feel like this was the most difficult season he could have imagined short of injury for him to trying to keep this team afloat. Like the sales pitch to getting him to come back seemed pretty simple where you sit down and you say, look at everything we had to deal with this year. Next year is likely going to be easier. We'll yeah. be fine. Like that, I, you feel like that's at least the approach. So I, I'm stunned by it because to your point, he's playing so well and because the situation around him this year was so difficult. But uh, whatever floats his boat on this, I totally get. I also understand wanting to control your own message as many years as he played for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. And I and I actually, oddly enough, believe him when he says he doesn't want one of those last year tours where they honor him at every stop. I think some people that's very comfortable and that's what they want. And maybe maybe that's not the case for him, knowing that he's already achieved like three separate Hall of Fame careers. He doesn't need another. Uh, coming up, Bengals. More Bengals next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Of all of the possible matchups we could have seen for the Super Bowl coming into the season, I don't think anybody would have predicted Bengals versus Rams. And through mm -hmm. all of this, it's been incredible to watch the ascension of a superstar in Joe Burrow to see what this means for the organization and what it means for the city. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And we're going to get some insight on all things Bengals, all things Cincinnati from somebody that knows better than most. Ken Anderson joining us, former Bengals quarterback. Uh, absolute honor to get to talk to you. Part of the Bengals ring of honor. Remember, he led the Bengals to their first Super Bowl in the 1981 season. Ken, thanks so much for the time. What's it mean for the Bengals to be back in the Super Bowl? Well, I mean, I think it means so much for the city of Cincinnati. And, you know, you mentioned Jason you know, we went to our first Super Bowl in 81, and in the 70s and 80s, you know, and after me, Boomer Sias, we were as good as any football team in the National Football League. And then, you know, it was on some down times, and, you know, Cincinnati took a lot of hit, um, you know, in the national media, you know, some of it on Around the Horn, this show I happen to watch once in a while. You know, so it, it's, just, it's just nice now to see that the Bengals have that winning tradition back, and you know, it, it's so much fun because these young guys, they're not burdened 
You know, they say, well, the Bengals haven't won a playoff game in 31 years. These guys weren't born when that was all going on. They just go out and play football and win. Listen, Ken, I can be forgiven for being unsure about the Bengals' longevity this season after they lost to my Bears. And that is a shot at my Bears and not the Bengals. I was like, this team? (laughs) They lost to the Bears. Um, Honestly, it's incredible. It's so fun to have a team like this because it has been a long time. And, and you know, you, you know what it's like to lead a Bengals team to a Super Bowl. Times have changed a bit since 81. But talk to us about what the city of Cincinnati does for a guy that can make their team a winner, that, that can take them all the way. Well, I mean, geez, I mean, you, you look at Bench and you look at Rose and you look at Tony Perez and Ken Griffey Jr., all, you know, all the Reds players. You know, I think it's the same way with football players. I think, although, I think there's probably a lot more football players that stay in town. And, and certainly, you know, I don't live there full time anymore. I live down in Hilton Head, South Carolina. But, you know, Anthony Munoz and the Max Montoyas and the Dave Lapham's, the guys that were, you know, icons from those uh, 70 and 80 teams, they're still in town and, and uh, you know, still revered by the fans. Ken, how do you? What advice would you give these players for soaking in the moment and understanding the gravity of making it to the Super Bowl? Well, I, I don't think they have to soak in anything, and and I think that's one of the great things that that Zach and the staff have done is they've brought in players, whether it's by draft or free agency, that love football. The guys that have been captains of their teams, guys that have played in big games before. Uh, you're telling me this game that they're going to play in a couple of weeks is bigger than the national championship game uh, that they played a couple of years ago, talking about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. You know, these guys have played in big games before. You know, it, it's another football game for them. And like I said, they, they don't have the weight. Oh, the Bengals have been there before twice, and uh, they lost to Joe Montana twice. That doesn't bother them. That's right. not their problem. Ken, it's exactly what I said when my Cubs were going for the World Series. I said, y'all may be 80-plus years of disappointed fan, but the longest-tenured guy is Anthony Rizzo, and he's been here for five years. Like, he's just not carrying around what you are, which is exactly what we've said about this team, especially in the later parts of the season, is they're just playing with house money. They're ahead of schedule, two years ago, worst team in, in the league, and here they are. And and I wonder, you know, I, I, I think we've all been so impressed watching Joe Burrow Um are you surprised at all that he can be as calm, cool, and collected as he has been, even in, in the craziest moments of the season? No, he's Joey Franchise. He, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, he, that's his makeup. And, you know, you listen to him talk, man, I'm a little anxious the night before when I'm going over things and, you know, going replaying the game, you know, kind of with the scenarios in my mind that could happen tomorrow. But, you know, once I get to warm up, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just, you know, out there playing football. And, you know, Sarah, you, you mentioned your Cubs. Uh, you know, I grew up around the Chicago area, out of Batavia. Have you been out to my hometown of Batavia yet? I know you live in Chicago. I believe years ago for some sporting-related event, but I can't be certain. <laughs> oh, okay. So now, now who's your favorite Cub of all um, time? All-time Ernie Banks. Oh, no question. Love I've got game. my Ernie Banks throwback jersey in my closet, just so nice. you know. Nice. Nice. I love that. Yeah, you know, I, one of the things I loved about Joe Burrow is it seemed like he had an understanding of the history of the team. You saw, you know, Icky Woods comes up to him after the win, and he immediately does a little bit of the Icky shuffle. I wonder if he's got his Ken Anderson history right. Have you spent any time talking to him? You know, I have not. I've, I, I've yet to meet him. Uh, ever since he was drafted, the COVID protocols are, are so tight yeah. around the locker room that I can't get in. You know, I, I was used before that I'd, I'd go down and go through the equipment room and, 
into the locker room, talk to guys, go up to the, the coaching floor, talk to different guys up there. And, 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 and since then, uh, you know, for the last couple of years, I have not been able to get near the place. So he and I have, have texted back and forth a little bit. Uh, you know, he gets so inundated with all this stuff. <laughs> so uh, I, I look forward to one of these days that I will get a chance to meet him and sit down and talk a little bit. We're talking to Ken Anderson, Bengals great, former Bengals quarterback, four-time Pro Bowl quarterback on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Ken, coming into the season, there were people that thought Zach Taylor, the coach, should be on the hot seat, and now he's in the Super Bowl. What, what, what have you seen patience-wise from Zach and Joe as they develop their relationship together? Well, you know, and, and I think it's been the ownership's relationship with them, too, and patience. Um, you know, I mean, gosh, I think if you would have taken a poll before the season, a lot of the fans here wonder why is he still the coach of the team. And to tell you a little story, you know, you go back to his, his first year, and, and they weren't winning a lot of football games, and they're playing the Rams in London, and I happened to be over to that game. And I don't know how many they had lost in a row. And, you know, they practice on Thursday. They go to the airport. They get on a plane. They fly all night. They get, land in London, go to a hotel, drop their bags off, get dressed, go to practice at a little stadium on a cold, drizzly London day. Very easy when you're going through a bad season just to go through the motions. And I'm watching that practice, and it's one of the most spirited, well-executed practices I'd ever seen. And I said, these guys really are paying attention to what Zach has to say. And, you know, they didn't have enough good players back then, but he established the culture that he wanted. And I see we're kind of carrying that over now today. The, the players are better, and we've still got a few deficiencies, you know, here and there. But, uh, but Zach is, is one good football coach. Spain and Fitz talking to Ken Anderson, former NFL MVP quarterback who led the Bengals to their first Super Bowl in 81. You know, um, you mentioned that you hope to one day get a chance to sit down and talk to Joe. Have you gotten the call from the team on the Super Bowl? Will you, will you be there? Is there going to be some, some Bengals greats in a suite all watching together? Well, not, not that I know of yet. Uh, it, it may be kind of tough for me that uh, a week and a half ago, I just had back surgery and had oh. two vertebra fused. So I'm, I'm oh, not man. getting around real good now. So unless they got an escort for me to the stadium, I may <laughs> not be able to make it. Oh, well, bummer. I think, uh, A, you deserve one. But, uh, yeah. you know, at, at least when you're watching it, we know you'll be chewing, uh, chewing. You'll be cheering the city on. <laughs> Ken, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and giving us a great insight. Well, I, I tell you what, after the Bengals win, I hope you call me back. Oh, heck yeah. Calling his shot. I like it. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. <laughs> That's Ken Anderson, former Bengals quarterback. Bengals, great. And uh, knows plenty about the Bengals in the Super Bowl as he took them to their first Super Bowl back in 81. So cool for a franchise to get to go to their third Super Bowl this year. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over 700 bucks on average. Call or click today. It's Monday, and that means we have takes to break down. We'll do some good take, hot take next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XLM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Did you know that you can listen to Spain and Fitz commercial free that's right you can listen to all your favorite espn radio shows and much more without the ads on TuneIn, the best audio app for sports fans just download the TuneIn app to get started it is that simple and if you listen to your favorite shows if there's any one thing i can be fairly certain of you will hear an abundance of fiery fiery takes so one thing mm -hmm. we like to do 
is we like to break down those takes. We're really analyzing them. I don't know. We're grading them on a scale of hot to good. We're giving you everything you need to know about good takes and hot takes. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes. Hot takes. Give the damn ball and let him decide. But that's not the Green Bay way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. By the way, Sarah, I don't want to, to bury the good take we got earlier. Ken Anderson just dropping that he watches you on around the horn. Like, I, I know. Catch that? Like, I know. I mean, that just happened. And thankfully, like, I never talk smack about the Bengals. Like, I might have said I'm unsure of how great they could be losing to my Bears and all, but I never talk smack. Phew. He, he basically started the interview by saying, I don't know who this schlub is, but Sarah Spain, <laughs> I watch her all the time on around the horn. I get it, Ken. I get it. It's fine. Uh, it's all right. So let's get into some, some good hate and good takes, hot takes, and it <laughs> starts with our very own Rex Ryan talking a little bit of Patrick Mahomes. For Patrick Mahomes, when you you play at such a, a high level, for you to come up so small in that second half of the game, he looked like he, had, he lost his confidence. And I'm watching the whole time and go, dude, he's lost his confidence. And as a coach, you got to get back to running the football to bring it back a little bit, to not play, to you know, let him get ahead of the stick some. He tried to, to make everything... I'm trying to get separation from my receivers. That's the mark of a guy that lost some confidence in that game. Hmm. You buying it, sir? I think it's a good take, and here's why. I I know the Chiefs were not having a lot of success with the run, so it seems strange to take the ball out of the hands of your all-world Hall of Fame future quarterback, but I do think there's something to be said for getting some – some plays that gain yards and getting a little bit of confidence because his point is a valid one. The the Bengals' defense changed the looks they were giving, and Patrick Mahomes struggled, struggled really badly. They dropped eight-plus defenders in coverage on a season-high number of pass plays, and he was just 7 of 13 for 59 yards, an interception, and two sacks on those eight-plus defenders in coverage. The Bengals doubled what they had been doing in the second half in overtime, and that was the span in which they only scored three points. So whatever he was seeing, or perhaps more accurately not seeing, was causing him to fail. And if you're watching your quarterback struggle the way he was, you have to switch it up, even if you don't have a ton of faith in your run game. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a good take. And, good. You know, I think you've got to look at a couple of things. To your point, you know, even if it's not confidence, there's rhythm. Sometimes you just got to get rhythm going, and it looks like confidence. But also, I mean, if we look at the last four years, and, and I'm not calling the last four years anything other than tremendous success. Let's be very clear about that. And we all know that I respect the hell out of Patrick Mahomes. You can still say those things and then look at – the AFC Championship game a few years ago against the Patriots, he was bad in the first half. You look at the Super Bowl the next year, he was bad for three quarters, great in the fourth. You look at the Super Bowl last year, it was not a great game for Mahomes, but we looked at it and said, yeah, his offensive line was terrible, what could he do? And now we have the end of a season again in an AFC Championship game where he played poorly in the second half. Mm-hmm. So you start to string some of these together, and while I'm not saying it, it, it's it's this you know smear on the legacy of Patrick Mahomes, I do think it's fair to say, hey, in the last four years, the season has ended largely because of Patrick Mahomes. And that's weird to say as part of his legacy. You create the expectations for yourself by being as great as he can be. And when mm, you have a second-half QBR of 1.4, you're going to hear it. <laughs> That's not 1.4 out of 2. Let's go to the next take. This is Ryan Clark giving everybody his thoughts on Odell Beckham Jr. 
for Odell Beckham Jr. to be talked about in the way he was talked about, to be jettisoned from New York, to be to be cut from Cleveland, and to now do what he did in the NFC Championship and find time to walk over to Debo Samuel, show him love, show him compassion, and understand what he was going through, tells you what type of person Odell Beckham Jr. is. So stop with all the narratives that he's a locker room killer and teammates hate him and he's a bad dude. No, what he is is an elite talent. He's an elite talent that found a way to fit in when the other wide receiver was the true number one of that team at least. Never complained, continue to work, make huge plays throughout the playoffs and in the NFC Championship and now get the credit that he deserves as a great player, as a great teammate, and as someone who can make a team better and not make it about himself. Sarah, what do you think? I think that's a great take. He good. Listen, there's some aspects of Odell that have been odd or disappointing. You could talk about the Tims on the boat. You could talk about the strange powdery substance. You could talk about the proposing to the kicking net, right? The guy is certainly special and unique and different. That being said, a lot of what felt to me like criticism of him was thinking he was different and then extrapolating that or expanding that to mean he's a bad teammate or a locker room cancer or other things that were actually not said about him. This is a guy who, in this second chance this season, has been fantastic. And to his point, he looks across and sees Cooper Cup and says, that might be the number one guy, but guess how many passes I'm going to catch because people are focused on him. He wants to win. Everybody seems to like him there. And even in Cleveland, where things were not going his way, he still wasn't disruptive and difficult until the very end when he wanted out. He was a surprisingly quiet and well-behaved dude for someone who was in a situation that rough. And I think a lot of it just got blown out because the media loves to talk about guys with big personalities. So I think you're right in part, in part but I'm still going to say this is a hot take. And to me, it's a hot take because... As we say all the time on the show, and you've heard me say a million times, like great people can do terrible things and terrible people can do great things. Like there's this weird moment where I can see Odell Beckham Jr. be a spectacular comfort to another great player in a moment where they need that. I, I, you can have real relationships, but some of the moments that you mentioned uh, still have to be part of this conversation. Like the measure of greatness from a teammate isn't necessarily just when things are going great it's also when things are going incredibly poorly and while it's easy for us to look at Odell's dad and say well he's the one that got him out of Cleveland I, I have a hard time believing that gets manufactured without Odell being part of it right so right I, I don't know that one was he in the wrong thing, though for getting out of that situation uh no not not wrong at all but does it is it, it not wrong for wanting out but going to the media to do it that way is not something we usually look at and say well that makes him a great teammate right like yeah, I mean, I guess the question weird... is what happened before that and how many different ways did he try to handle the situation before making it through the media? And and did he? Maybe maybe he didn't, but I don't know that we know uh, if there was any other option yeah, to get done what he wanted done. That That is totally fair. We only know the information that we have here, right? And so that's always going to be the case. But there are enough, yes, this is peculiar, but it doesn't make him a bad teammate. Well, I mean, I guess I could look at this and say this is a great moment, but I don't know that that makes him a great team. Right. Like, I agree. The moment itself is not the answer, but I think it is a reminder that this is somebody who has been carrying around a narrative that I don't think is, is really accurate to who he's been. Yeah, and that is also – I think there's probably an in-between. That That's that's my mindset goes to there's probably an in-between on this. By the way, we were going to get to a Keyshawn one here, but we don't have time. I just have to tell you a quick Keyshawn story, all right, because this might be the best good take, hot take ever. I'm sitting 
at this hotel right by campus yesterday, and we're watching some football, and Keyshawn's with us. Like, he just happened to be in the same place as we were watching the game, and uh, we get to I like how you're making it clear that Keyshawn would never hang out with you by choice. Oh, yeah. No, Keyshawn was not <laughs> hanging out with me. He was just sitting <laughs> in the same. to be there. Like, loud, if you were loud talking, you could talk to him. And there's a guy <laughs> sitting next to us that none of us knows, and we get to halftime in the AFC Championship game, and he says, the Bengals are going to come back and win this thing. And Keyshawn, in typical key form, just looks over and sort of rolls his eyes and says, what? And that's all he says. And this guy, who I obviously didn't know anything about who Keyshawn was, was like, hey, I know football. I know what I'm oh, talking no. about. This guy was like, I don't know, 5'8", and probably 20 pounds <laughs> past the prime of what he expected. Like he's, he's like that fluffy, I'm in a relationship moment. Like That's where he is in his life, sitting in the bar having like way too many beers. And then we, he just sat there and was right the whole second half. So the oh. whole time we were laughing at the fact that somebody I knowed footballed to Keyshawn and uh, was actually and right. And was right, yes, yeah. yes. So, you know, <laughs> Keyshawn great. with the hot take, some guy that's Did you Browns walk up fan, to him but, and uh, tell him hot take? Uh, no, no, I, I didn't. <laughs> you were I, I terrified. Said, I said, have a great day, Keith. That's, that's all I said. <laughs> I, I, I'm a child. All right, coming up, an expert will explain how the Chiefs blew the AFC Championship game. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Who'd have thought that after all, it would be the Bengals and the Rams, Matt Stafford and the Bengals. In the Super Bowl, it was a hell of an AFC-NFC championship day. In fact, the playoffs has probably been one of the best NFL playoff stretches of all time. And we're going to get the inside scoop on how the teams got those W's. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. ESPN senior writer and the host of the Bill Barnwell Show podcast joins us now, Bill Barnwell. Bill, you absolutely broke it down in such perfect way for me to really understand what the Bengals did to Patrick Mahomes in the second half. And I want you, if you can, quickly explain to people why it looked like one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time just couldn't figure out what he was seeing from that defense. It felt like mind control. It felt like yeah. after that miss at the end of the first half, they just, the Bengals bounced up that work. They dropped eight into coverage. They were rushing three. They were getting guys in the throwing lanes. They were playing you know, single high coverages after all year, it was supposed to be two high coverages for the, you know, against the chiefs. Like they came up with every basic counter you would think of. And the chiefs just didn't adjust quickly enough. Not until that final drive did they really find something that worked to counter that stuff. So I think it was just a great job by uh, Luna Ramo, the Bengals defensive coordinator, Trey Hendrickson played well. They just did a really good job of, of, you know, kind of getting in the way of that chiefs offense. Bill, I have a quick follow for you there because I loved yeah. that, and people should go read Bill's story. It's a lengthy and very detailed description of what the Bengals did, but I want to get you on the around the horn side, which is an either or completely unfair <laughs> question of, can we blame Patrick Mahomes for choking? Or do you think the Bengals' defense was so effective that he wouldn't be able to to see and adjust? Because to me, it felt like there was an adjustment he could have made and he failed. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you're going to pin it on someone, I think Mahomes is fair to pin it on. I mean, I... I I posted the video of that third down play, um, third and goal, where he, take, he took the strip sack, which was a terrible play, even in and of itself. But Travis Kelsey's open on that play for a touchdown, and Byron Pringle's open at the goal line for either a touchdown or a fourth and inches from the half-yard line. And Mahomes just didn't pull the trigger. I mean, it felt like he was kind of timid by the end of that game. And, you know, with Patrick Mahomes, that's not what he's like typically. So I, I think the Bengals did a good job in the second half, but then Mahomes kind of, you know, got trigger shy, I think, as that game went along. So what was the solution that they should have done? How, how could they have just uh, could have adjusted? I can't speak. Oh, man. Fitz, that, this is a tough question. I'm not Andy Reid here, but I, I'll <laughs> say this much. 
they, they were in that game. They had a couple like third and shorts where the Bengals just said, run the ball if you want to. We're going to dare you to run the ball. We have four players uh, who are going to stop the run, three, three defensive linemen and one linebacker on the field. We're going to play seven defensive backs. And the Chiefs didn't run the ball. They threw the ball in those situations. I think they were running on early downs just fine, but you know, I feel like that would be one of the solutions. I think taking more shots down the field uh, on those eight-man fronts and trying to sort of dare them to hold up against the speed, it, it felt like they kind of stuck with what they, they were doing during the first half, and that worked out great in the first half, but they, they just did not make those adjustments to something that was what they were actually facing, I think, in the second half of that football game. Bill Barnwell is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Definitely read his work on ESPN and also listen to the Bill Barnwell podcast. I want to talk about coaches because you mentioned Andy Reid and he often gets criticism. Someone who hasn't gotten a lot of criticism in the last couple of weeks has been Kyle Shanahan, who's been an mm-hmm. absolute genius. And yet in this game, and by the way, McVay would be hearing it if they lost because terrible <laughs> challenges and timeouts and all of that stuff. But in the end, it, it falls on Shanahan because they lost. And Bill... It felt like so many other instances where we've seen Shanahan fail in the biggest moment. They got away from what got them there. Can you explain why he went to pass-heavy drives? Can you explain why they didn't take a timeout with two minutes? Why they started punting? What was what what happened? This is not stuff Kyle Shanahan does well. I mean, he is a offensive mastermind. He's a great play designer. He's a great play caller. But he's very timid. I mean, he is a very conservative coach when it comes down to things. And whether you want to blame Jimmy Garoppolo or maybe his lack of confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo, I should say, for his the way he handles the situation, this is not new. He saw this during the 2019 postseason. We saw it in the Super Bowl that year. It cost them points. You saw it earlier rounds against the Cowboys. They were very timid uh, in strict guarded situations. They just haven't had a team make them pay for doing so before the Chiefs in the 2019 Super Bowl, and then the Rams here uh, in the second half on Sunday. And I think, you know, that's just a mindset thing. I think that's, you know, it's not like they don't have a play. It's not like they don't have the weapons. They have so much talent on that offense. But I think Kyle Shanahan manages football games like it's 20 years ago. It doesn't manage the game, you know, the way that you would for a modern coach. Sure, Bates not do a good job in this game when it came to game management, but Kyle Shanahan has had these problems for years now. And I think, you know, we have to see what happens with Trey Lance because if, it, if they bring in Trey Lance next year, who's a great, obviously a, a great runner, going to be a great short yardage weapon, and they still do the same stuff, then it's not about Garoppolo. It's not about the confidence in Garoppolo. Then it is strictly on Kyle Shanahan's shoulder. We're talking to Bill Barnwell, ESPN senior writer. The other thing, we, we all spent the whole week talking about how effectively the 49ers do run the football, and it felt like the Rams had an answer for that. What did they do differently this time than they've done earlier? Yeah, I think it was more just bodies. You know, I think it was really just we're going to clog up these running lanes and we're going to dare you to run the football and we're going to dare, sorry, dare you to throw the football. And Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, missed some throws high in this game and obviously not played well in the fourth quarter. But most of this game, there were throws there to be had, especially over the middle of the field. You know, we saw a lot of safe coverages from the Rams and that intermediate, uh, you know, middle part of the field where Kyle Shanahan loves to throw the football. They were having a lot of success throwing the football in those areas early in this game. So to me, I think, you know, they did a good job. They tackled well. Um, they were physical up front. I, I thought that their, you know, their their five-man fronts did well in that game. And Kyle Shanahan, you know, maybe could have had counters that stuff. But I, I think at the end of the day, like, they were just going to dare the Niners to win throwing the football. And they did okay for part of the game. But when the game was on the line, they weren't able to pull it off. 
Yeah, fourth quarter, 77% of Jimmy's snaps he was pressured as opposed to 18% mm -hmm. in the first three quarters. So much more success for Jimmy when he's not under pressure. And we finally saw mm -hmm. in that game Aaron Donald and Von Miller and that D-line for the Rams do what we expected them to do all game long. They just saved it for the end, which worked out well for them. Bill Barnwell is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Let's talk about Stafford. Um, it's easy to get caught up in the narratives around him, and they were fair in terms of the issues that he had midseason. And, you know, he was, I think, what, tied for interceptions on the season along well, along mm -hmm. with the um, Trevor Lawrence and that terrible Jags team. What has mm -hmm. he figured out? We saw an early one in this, but what has he figured out in terms of his, his play in the last couple of weeks? Can I be totally honest with you? And, yeah. and maybe this is not going to be a popular opinion. I don't think anything's changed. I, I think hmm. he's the same guy. I think he's just been a little luckier when it's come to those interceptions. Think about uh, last week or two weeks ago, I should say, um, the interception against the Buccaneers where he threw a ball into, I believe it was Carlton Davis's hands in the end zone early in that game, and they dropped it. And then yeah. yesterday, I mean, mm -hmm. the arm punt, to, I think it was to Quisky Tart, yeah. um, just drops it. You know, that's not Matthew Stafford being better. He didn't put any – you know, special English on that ball to get those guys to drop it. It's just luck. And, and the reality is, you know, when it comes to interceptions, when it comes to tip balls, that, that, that stuff is so lucky from week to week that I, I don't think Matthew Stafford's playing all that differently. I think he can get really hot. And we saw that earlier this year. And he can have stretches in games or from week to week where he looks phenomenal. We can have stretches where he makes bad decisions with the football. He's sloppy. He maybe, you know, trusts his arm a little too much. We saw that in this game as well. So, um, Either of those Matthew Staffords, I think, are still on the table for the Super Bowl coming up in a couple of weeks. Speaking of the Super Bowl, way too early for a pick. But before we let you go, early on, who do you think has the edge in this matchup? Oh, boy. I mean, I, I would say the Rams just because I think the weakest part of that Bengals offense is the interior of their defensive line, or sorry, offensive line. And there's a guy named Aaron Donald, and <laughs> he is – one of the more terrifying human beings who walks the earth. And I think that uh, I, that's a major mismatch. The Bengals are going to have opportunities. They're, they're a very talented football team. But I just think that is such an obvious mismatch where you have the one of the best players in football against one of the worst interior offensive lines in the NFL. Joe Burrow scoffs at your sack talk. <laughs> he doesn't care. He he builds and grows every time he's taken to the turf. He gets stronger and angrier and swaggier. Uh, Bill, can we're going to have you back. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. What is your favorite Joe Burrow nickname? I don't really like Joey Franchise. It doesn't do it for me. Um, I'm still in on Joe Cool. I don't care if Montana had it. Like, it's, it's generation. No, it's been too no, long. You need, he deserves his own. He deserves I mean, his own. The most most kids watching Joe Burrow doesn't even know don't even know who okay, Joe Okay, well we're Montana not was. appealing to people for their ignorance. We're not gonna just. <laughs> I don't really like Joe Shiesty either. Um, Ooh, Tiger I like King? Joe Shiesty. I, I I would go Tiger King. I like Tiger King. Mm, oh, that's okay. strong too. Yeah, that's Joe strong. Burr because he's okay. cool. <laughs> um, Impressive. Yeah. I don't like Shiesty. I don't like Burr. I don't like Joey Fran. I kind of like Jackpot Joey. Um, that mm. was a good one. I don't like Smokin' Joe because Smokin' Jay is always going to be my favorite. Smokin' QB. <laughs> um, I don't know if we found it yet because Tiger King, I like. It's funny, but I don't think he needs to be associated with that guy. Like, he's too good to be for me to picture the other guy. What's his name? 
Uh, I cannot think of his name. That's his, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I, I feel good about the fact that none of us can remember, actually. I feel good about the <laughs> fact that none of us spend any time in our brain to remember Joe Exotic. Damn it. I remembered it. Oh, Gosh darn it all. I thought my brain had discarded it. Um, all right. We'll stick with Tiger King for now, but let's put it on ourselves to come up with something better. Bill, we got some time. Super Bowl in a couple weeks. We'll have you back before then. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Bill Barnwell, ESPN senior writer. I'm telling you to go read the story that he wrote specifically about what happened to the Chiefs in that game and the Bengals defense. Really smart stuff. Tune in tomorrow night. College basketball action as Louisville hosts UNC. Coverage begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Coming up, why do we call rich people Mr. And also your team's favorite presser statements. Coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Passes to... Wiggins, who dribbles out to the left wing. Isolated left side. Step back three from the wing. Good for Wiggins, who's got 20. Uh, ESPN Radio giving you the good stuff there. Andrew Wiggins with a team-high 24 points Saturday night in the Warriors' 110-106 win over the Nets on ABC and ESPN Radio. The Monday Roundup is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. We talked Wiggins last week, feeling himself after that all-star starter nod. Um, and speaking of Fitz, NBA, we got Jaron Jackson Jr. coming up Friday. I don't know if you heard. He's coming on the show, and I'm really pumped to talk to him about what the Grizzlies are doing this year. Um, that team, his teammates, I mean, that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I, I'm so – this is such a cool moment for Memphis in general, and, you know, I get to talk to the ESPN affiliate every Monday there, and, and seeing the love that they is reciprocated from Ja to the city and the city to Ja, there's like mm-hmm. a really special bonding moment that is happening for the Grizzlies around this team particularly that I think has the chance to really, for the next decade, change the way that we perceive basketball in that city. It's much like what Joe Burrow was doing to Cincinnati. Yeah. I think that's what Ja is doing for the we'll Grizzlies. We'll have to ask uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. if he traded in any jerseys to get a Ja instead uh, when the team was <laughs> offering that. Uh, it's Fain and Fitz. Uh, we talked earlier about uh, Fitz's uh, Raiders getting McDaniels and and my Bears also introducing today their new GM and coach. And uh, I, I, I reminded Fitz that when, when anybody – gets introduced for the Bears, they have to say the most important thing, we're going to beat Green Bay, or like, we're going to crush the Packers, and this time, we got a little spin on it, we're going to take the North and never give it back. Uh, Fitz offered up that if you're introduced as, as an, a GM or, or coach for the Raiders, you got to immediately, you got to mention Al Davis and just win, baby, and you probably have to say that the tuck rule was not a tuck, it was a fumble. So we asked you, what is your favorite team, like the required phrase or comment that you're always going to hear in that presser? Uh, James Rodé Rodriguez, uh, one of my faves, by the way, on the great show, um, uh, A Million Little Pieces, he tells us uh, a million little things, I should say, a million little things. Uh, he's a Titans fan. He said, we're going to play physical and we are committed to running the football. You see what happens when we don't, <laughs> which I believe is a Tannehill <laughs> shot. Um, uh, at the Nature Boy 1, Jets, we're going to develop a winning culture. We're going to have our QB. We're going to play hard on every play. We will be a playoff team. We will win titles. Uh, very uh, Jack Hand or uh, Stuart, Stuart, uh, Smalley uh, is the Stu- one who said Smalley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, we're, good, we're good enough. We're smart enough. Uh, that feels like the Jets in the mirror every time they hire a new coach. It just <laughs> never works out. Um, Chris Palmer absolutely writes at the Giants, it's always something about physicality. Um, the Lions, <laughs> there's tremendous value at the tight end position in the first round. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, our boy Kaz, this is how we going to do it. F the Saints, F the Falcons, F Tampa Bay as a staff, record label, and as an MF and crew. Go Panthers. I don't think I've ever heard that by any of the coaches of the Panthers. Um, 
Let's see who else. Uh, uh, of course, uh, all Angry Bears fan dad man is really mad about all the Bears' uh, current iterations. Tradition, uh, the uh, charter franchise, and acronyms. Uh, Fitz, our coach today used acronyms. How do you feel about that? I'm not what, a fan. Wait, what, like what acronyms are we talking about? Like what, 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 why are we doing this? Like I, so, I don't understand. Eberflus has at he this was something we heard about him before and then he brought it up again today. He has principles and his philosophy is hits H I T S H is for hustle, I is for intensity, T is for taking care of the ball and taking the ball away, and S is for smart situational players. H is for holy cow. I is no, for I hate it. interesting. T I is for it. I don't know. And S is for we all know that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Seriously, is that Listen, what we're doing he now? He like- helped Indy's defense become a top ten defense every season. He was there. You know, he's going to bring this great Tampa two that ruled Chicago back in the day when you know Erlacher and Briggs and Tillman and Brown were there. There's a lot to like. Acronyms for me. Not any of the things that I like. I'm just not a fan. I mean, no, there's that you're winning in spite of not because of those acronyms. Yeah, Let's be very acronyms. clear about that. Yeah, or you're just it's easy for you to say, but what's really happening is the work beneath the acronym, not the actual. Uh, yeah, just uh, at Devin Lucas or uh, at MCDC for Prez when they connect to the vibe or culture of Detroit. Very important to us Detroiters. That's so true. Like, definitely, you got to say you're blue collar, right? If you go oh, to Detroit, yeah, that's true. Like, yep, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rebecca Haynes says in Nola, it's always about what this means to the city or some variant thereof. That's totally true. Um, <laughs> Ladarius Brown, the Falcons, we're not trading Matt Ryan, and the defense will be better. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so sad. That's but the so the funny thing is, like when you think about this interview process, you really have a coach or a GM that has basically two days with an owner where they're sitting there going over their plan, how they build a roster, everything. And then they've got to try and figure out everybody that's in that building, all of that. The minute they walk in, again, it speaks to the honesty from a coach. You kind of want a coach that's like, hey, I don't know anything about this city. Yeah. And I barely know this roster, but I got a right. philosophy, and we'll see if it works. I mean, you got to be warned in advance, though. Like, if you're the new Bears coach and you sit down and you talk deep dish pizza or something or no ketchup on the hot dog, people are going to be like, okay. Right? You got to <laughs> – like, so at TD Port says, Seahawks, you got to pay homage to the 12s. Like, that is very smart. Right? You yeah. got to come in, and you got to be – even if you get told what to mention, you got to know that you that you got to mention it. Uh, that's just that's just part of it. It it's feels like when you're dating somebody and you're meeting their parents for the first time, like you've <laughs> right, done all right. their study, and you're like, all right, uh, dad's an engineer, so I'm talking about bridges. That's yeah, all. Like We're yeah. going to talk bridges the whole time. Mom's been running the program for 10 years, so don't ask if she wants any wine, and for God's sakes, don't mention politics. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is dad's third wife, so don't ask about the first two. Um, it's Bane and Fitz. Hey, quickly, I wanted to ask you if you found it as weird. And someone pointed this out during the broadcast yesterday. I hadn't really thought about it. Terry Bradshaw, I think it was, doing the on-stage interview after the win and calling the owner Mr. Whatever. And I thought about it as we were talking to um, our Rams guest tonight. Uh, and we were talking about the honor of, of you know, getting the Rams to the Super Bowl. And Troy Reader, the linebacker for the Rams that joined us, said, you know, Mr. Cronky's building. And yeah. I thought, are we required to call super rich people mister something or is it only like in in troy's case technically it's his, his boss but like why is terry bradshaw calling people mister yeah no that's a really good question and i actually kind of wondered about it today when i watched the josh mcdaniels press conference because at one point 
he just said Mark instead of Mr. Davis. And I was like, oh, that that's new to me, like the, the concept of of Mark being there. So, you know, maybe maybe this is a thing like uh, the rich people get called Mr. I mean, he also uh, instead of Mr. Cronky, he said more Mr. Cranky, <laughs> which is kind <laughs> of which is kind of nice. Um, but I don't know. Like, I think that's weird. I think it's weird to call other adults Mr. or Mrs. Anything. Yeah, I think once you're an adult, you get to call them by their first name. Although, I don't know. Like, if you're a billionaire and you're writing my million-dollar checks, I'll call you whatever the hell you want to be called. Like, it, yeah, if, I mean, if it, Sarah Spain, the billionaire, wants to pay me millions, <laughs> then you can be Mrs. Spain. You can be, you know, Yeah, Mrs. to be fair, I'll call you just about anything if you're going <laughs> to pay me millions of dollars. Uh, Freddie and Fitzsimmons are coming up next. They're going to talk to Mr. Cranky, Terry oh. Bradshaw, oh. Patrick you know what? Do you think they ever care when we do this to them, Fitz? Yeah, no, no, no. I think that they, they enjoy every moment of it because they're not listening to us. That's the real like. <laughs> That's part no of it. Idea. It's a hell of a lead in, too. If anybody ever sticks around thinking it's happening. By the way, this one is real, though. Tom Brady is joining Freddie and Fitzsimmons next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.